Hello, and welcome to episode 61 of The Cognicast, a podcast by Cognitech Inc. about software and the people that create it. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Uh, a few announcements for you before the show, as we usually do. Um, wanted to mention, if you haven't been by our blog, our newly reincarnated blog uh, at blog.cognitech.com, you should stop by. There's a bunch of good stuff there. You probably have heard about, well, hopefully you've heard about transducers. Uh, it's a new closure feature um, that Rich posted about there. It looks really, really interesting. We're going to have a lot more to say about that in the coming weeks and months, but you can go and read Rich's blog post at blog.cognitech.com. Um, we've also had a few, uh, at least one more post since we had Mike Nygaard on the show talking about simulation testing. Um, so if you found that at all interesting, you, again, you should swing by the blog and, and check that out. That's blog.cognitech.com. Pretty easy to remember. Um, while I'm mentioning Mike Nygaard, I want to uh, be sure to remind you that he will be speaking at Jax in Munich in November. This is 2014. He's got a talk entitled, it's a keynote really, entitled Rethink IT the day after tomorrow. Um, as you, If you've listened to the show and you've heard Mike, you know he's really good with um, kind of big picture, pulling ideas together. Um, so that talk looks to be another good example of that, and I'm sure you'll enjoy checking it out if you uh, are able to attend. Certainly go and get your tickets if you uh, are able to do that, and if not, hopefully that'll be online somewhere, and we'll certainly let you know um, when that's the case. Uh, but again, that's um, Jax in Munich, Germany, uh, in November. Um, of course, speaking of conferences, we cannot help but mention the Conj, right? Our big closure conference. Is, tickets are on sale. We're super excited. The early bird tickets sold out in like, I don't know, 12 microseconds or something. Anyway. Um, tickets are still available. You can go to closure-conj.org. Super fun conference. Um, obviously, we have a lot to say about uh, closure there, um, but just really, really exciting. A lot of energy, a lot of great speakers. Um, I've always really enjoyed the conference. I've, I've been to all of them, and so it's been super fun, and I hope to see you there. Um, like I say, tickets are available, but um, that's as of me recording this. I, you know, if, if you're listening to this three months from now, then no guarantees, but uh, so... Hurry over and get your tickets, um, and I say that uh, because I truly enjoy it, and I would love to see you there. Um, again, on the conference uh, topic, I want to make sure we mention RacketCon. Uh, we'll have a lot more to say about RacketCon in this episode. Uh, you want to get your tickets. Um, it looks to be really interesting if you're at all interested in Lisps, which if you're listening to the show, you probably are. Um, Racket's a particularly interesting one. Uh, that you can find... Um, the information about the conference, RacketCon, at con.racket-lang.org. So uh, I'm going. <laughs> it's right after Strange Loop. It's in the same place. So very, very convenient if you're going to be at Strange Loop. Um, and at, like at 30 bucks, you, you know, it's going to totally be worth that. So um, check those out. Uh, finally, I want to mention that uh, David Nolan is going to be delivering a webinar about using Core Async for web programming, web user interface programming, which is a really interesting topic. Um, you know, we've had him on the show. We've talked about Corey Sync. Uh, I think, you know, I'm not a front-end guy, but um, it's pretty obvious to me based on the excitement of the people I know that are really good at it and also just kind of thinking about it a little bit that, um, you know, asynchronous processing has some pretty significant advantages. Um, certainly a lot of excitement around right now. So you can check out that webinar. Uh, the URL is uh, go.cognitech.com slash core underscore async. Uh, check that out. There's a registration form there, and you can sign up for his webinar, which is August 22nd, 2014. Whoa, a lot of stuff going on. Um, I'm super psyched. Um, this episode was really fun for me. 
Um, I mean, it's coming up, so rather than just talking about it, I will uh, leave you to it. So we will go on to episode 61 of the Cognicast. then uh welcome everybody today is tuesday august 5th in 2014 and this is the cognicast and today we're very pleased to have as our special guest uh matthew flat with us from the university of utah welcome to the show matthew thank you i'm very happy to be here oh well we're thrilled to have you and the reason that you're here is um is that i well it's kind of indirect actually there's a bunch of things i want to talk about but uh Kind of the route to having you on the show was we people have heard us talk about strange loop before it's a conference held in St. Louis in September, and I'm going because I really like the conference. And I noticed this year that um, one of my coworkers, uh, Michael Fogus, is giving a keynote at RacketCon. And RacketCon is co-located with Strange Loop. It's the day after Strange Loop. And tickets are like $30. And um, we'll get into what Racket is and all that in a minute. But um, I was interested, and I thought, I have to go. So I said, you know, Fogus, maybe you know, you're giving a keynote. Maybe we should talk. And he said, oh, no, no. If you want to talk about this stuff... Um, a good person to talk to would be uh, would be Matthew, and so he linked us up. And you know, I said that's a really good idea. So here you are. I wonder if you could start out by um, introducing yourself uh, to our guests. I know you know we talked a little bit about racket in that context, but maybe explain uh, uh, you, you know who you are, where you work, all that good stuff, um, and introduce yourself. Sure. Uh, so, like you said, I'm a professor at the University of Utah, but uh, I think of that as my sort of how I pay how I pay the bills. What I really do is building the Racket programming language. I was one of the people who started on it uh, and continue to put a lot of my work there. And I work, you know, roughly speaking, on the bottom half of Racket, on the compiler, the runtime system, uh, the macro system especially. Cool, and, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. And we've, we've been doing this for a long time, so it's uh, 18 or 19 years since the beginning of the project. Uh, and it's uh, evolved quite a bit in that time. And... You know, these days we're we're much more outward looking, and that's one of the reasons RacketCon is moving to be at Strange Loop and and try to take our you know all the cool stuff that we've been doing and show it to more people. Yeah, so so Rack, so I'm going to start off the show by saying that you know um, our, our longtime listeners know what an ignoramus I am. I am a particular ignoramus when it comes to to Racket. I'm certainly aware of it. I kind of have been interested in Lisps. I'm a professional closure programmer now, but I've been interested in Lisps since. School when I did uh, scheme, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's it's at least somewhat accurate to describe Racket as a scheme dialect. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. And many many listeners may know it was called PLT scheme up until a few years ago. Right, right. But and and changing the language, so that's why it shifted over. But it's still very much I would call it a scheme. Okay, cool. So um, all right, like I said, I don't know much about it. Maybe we could actually start there. If you had to summarize. It's hard. I think it can be hard to summarize a language, but how would you describe 
uh, racket to someone who wasn't really familiar with it? Yeah, I do start out by telling them it's a, a lisp and a, a variant of scheme. And, uh, you know, the inevitable question is, well, why? Because there are so many lisp and schemes out there. Mm -hmm. Why do we have yet another one? And the direction that we really pushed is having a lot of libraries early on. More recently, we've pushed the language extensibility direction. Lisp and scheme are famous for being able to, for allowing programmers to extend them with new syntactic forms to the macro system. And we've pushed on that so that you can build up new languages, completely new languages, or easily make variants of scheme or, or things in between. And we're really aiming for a kind of smooth path from simple syntactic abstractions to building up whole languages. And not just getting something that, uh, you know, get an interpreter out at the end, but get a whole suite of tools, the programming environment tools, uh, should adapt and be adaptable to the different languages. So, it, you know, Racket is a general purpose programming language, and we use it for things from web systems to teaching to graphics and GUI programs. But sort of uh, its reason to be is um, as much as anything to experiment in that direction of how we can make programming languages more adaptable more extensible. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, what are the um, and we can dive right in. Actually, you know, what are the what are the particular feature? So, I've I've seen a little bit of this, but what are the particular features that make it you know even more extensible than sort of the the kind of ground extensibility of a of a Lisp in general? Yeah, I will be tempted to go fairly technical here. So that, that's okay. We have a pretty technical audience, I think. So we could go for it. Uh, most sort of macro is you take the simplest kind of macro system. It's a rewriting system where you match certain patterns and you produce certain other patterns, uh, and that's kind of the basic def macro thing. Except uh, in a Lisp def macro style, you get to compute, you get to write arbitrary expressions, but still you're taking in a pile of symbols and giving it back a pile of symbols, and where Scheme, uh, as a language, started exploring beyond Lisp was the notion of attaching, attaching lexical scope to those things that the macros manipulate. Um, so that in particular, if an expression in one context gets a macro expansion from another context, that that expansion pulls along its, its bindings in a suitable and natural way, right? in a way that we refer to as lexical scope. And in Racket, we continue in that direction, but we also sort of push on the beyond pattern matching direction and give you more power in being able to inspect the bindings that you pull in from other places. So you can do a kind of compile time reflection, uh, you might say, to say, okay, I've got this identifier. What is it bound to? What's the information that was attached to that at compile time? And um, that lets you write macros that cooperate to let you write more expressive syntactic forms. So a, um, a method call macro can cooperate with some class declaration macros to specialize uh, a particular call or, or something like that. Uh, so that I can imagine the method call one that you mentioned is interesting. That, that could maybe expand your ability to do interesting types of uh, dispatch. Right. Uh, you know, a dispatch. So you bind an identifier in one place that corresponds to a class or an interface, and then when it's actually used, you can look up that richer information besides just using the identifier and combining it with certain other fixed identifiers. Okay. And, and would you use, I mean, maybe if the answer is whatever you want to do, but uh, would you use that typically, that type of, uh, it, and maybe that example specifically, would you use that to get better performance, you know, so you could, I, I, got, I don't know, like what's the use case, is there, are there use cases? Some, that have been sometimes for performance, but usually it's a matter of the expressiveness of the form, you know, what kinds of things can you implement as a macro as opposed to having to go hack the interpreter. Okay. And our goal is to keep pushing this frontier to open up, you know, we think of macros as the macro system in Racket is exposing the compiler's API 
to some degree to macro programmers. Mm. And we're trying to push that further and further and give you more of the, the macro API. And, you know, you can, one of the dreams is to have there not be a compiler. Everything is just macro expansion. So you take your source code and you macro expand it down to the machine code and you're done. Uh, to do that, we have to keep pushing the boundary of what the compiler exposes to you as a macro program and still somehow keep it safe, keep it uh, manageable, and keep it so that different extensions can still cooperate with each other. One of the things that's been interesting in the closure world is that there have been various efforts around um, attaching additional, I don't know if backend is the right word to use when talking to a compiler person, but different backends, you know, compile. we can compile right now to the JVM, to the CLR, to, um, to JavaScript, although not from a single language. I mean, there are slight uh -huh. differences. Is, is that something that would, maybe you can already do that. Is that something that would help with that or? Um, I, I think we have a similar problem in Racket right now. We can basically run on the Racket virtual machine and we would like to target these other backends. Um, and that's actually one of the things we expect to be doing over the next couple of years is rebuilding our macro layer, rebuilding our compiler layer to make it easier to move it over to other places. Right now, the macro system is too tied up with the runtime system. You know, we've exposed the compiler API, but the compiler and runtime system are tangled up in a way uh, that has made it difficult for us to move. And we hope that as we figure out how to do this better, that being in the research side of the world, the things that we work out will also carry over and make it easier for others to, to move their languages around. Yeah, I would say it's related, although I'd say that's not where we've solved problems uh, completely yet. I come back to some of that, but I, the one thing that uh, popped into my head earlier is you mentioned that you work on the the bottom half of Racket, and I think there's interesting things in the other half. I don't know how could you describe like the other half, like what's the whole package here? Because Racket is actually a bunch of things beyond just a an interesting language with a with a with an interesting compiler. Right. the The Doctor Racket IDE is perhaps one of the things we're best known for. You know, it started out as an educational tool. Um, all of Racket started out that way. But it's kind of evolved, and the idea has evolved with this mission of providing not just a, a runtime system and compiler, but a whole programming environment that is extensible. So, you know, Robbie Finler is one of the, the main Racket people, and he's the one most in charge of Dr. Racket. And lots of people write plug-in tools there. Um, just to pick some examples, I would, you know, if I tried to cover everything, I would overlook people. But, you know, Vincent uh, St. Amour has been working on a, optimization coach that is a plugin and that can be used in Dr. Racket that will tell you, you know, it looks, it watches what the optimizer does and then gives you feedback on your program about uh, ways you might change it to, to improve the performance, especially if it's written in the type Racket dialect. Mm -hmm. And that brings us to another dimension of the Racket project. You know, of all the ways you might extend a language like Lisp, you might want to add a type system to it. And so, uh, Sam Tobin Harkstadt and others working with him have been building type tracking over the last few years. And that's an increasingly important part of the Racket ecosystem where more and more libraries are written with type tracking, which gives you both certain guarantees that certain things won't go wrong, but also, especially for numerics, gives you better performance. You know, tying this all back to macros, type tracking is in a sense one big macro that you know expands your program and then adjusts it based on that. You know, to type check it and, to, and based on the types that it finds. So there's a couple of examples. That's cool. I, yeah, I actually have seen a, um, so there's a bunch of stuff in there. Like you said, you said and, and you said there's more. Uh, the typed racket was the inspiration for uh, typed closure, a project by uh, Ambrose Blinner Sargent, who we had on the show, talk about it. I think he takes a little bit different approach. I don't know uh, how familiar you are with type racket, but in type closure, 
it's it's not really so much a macro system as it is the way he describes it as a linter, you know, with, where you he inspects the code and does his type verification that way. I, I, it, it might actually be implemented in a macro way. I'm not really sure, but uh, sounds like it might be a little bit different. But he definitely gives major credit to the to the work going on there. He uh, he talked extensively about how um, <laughs> how that's some really interesting stuff. You also mentioned the IDE. Which uh, I've I've seen briefly, and I gotta say that I was really fascinated by that as well. You know, you mentioned the optimization coach, but there's other cool sort of visualization parts that um, I would love to have in my uh, the language that I use on a day to day basis. I've seen things like um, you know diagrams that chase, uh, rather trace. Um, I might be remembering this wrong, but I believe there's ways to visualize your code in terms of like the call paths and relationships between various pieces of code. So. Is that, am I remembering that right? Yeah, one of the things that's always on basically is showing you lexical bindings or drawing arrows on top, which is one of the oldest and flashiest pieces of the system. <laughs> uh, and at one point, there was something similar for showing the dynamic flow of your program to show how values flew through different parts of your programs. That was the Mr. Spidey tool, which a uh, bit rotted, but uh, who knows, it could come back. Interesting. I, I would say in general, in Dr. Racket, I guess it probably looked more impressive 15 years ago than it does these days. One of the things we've tried to push is a kind of simplicity. For example, we have the mantra, no projects. You you should never have to create a project. You just start writing a program. And to the degree that you need to import libraries or other things, it should be part of the language. And so we strive for a kind of minimalist presentation in Dr. Racket, where it's just the window, you know, the top and the bottom, where you write your program and where you interact. That has some limitations to it, and we're sort of... Still exploring that space there. Could you ex- just? Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, could you expand? I mean, when you say limitations, those are always um, quite interesting, and you know. Uh, right. So if you say there's not going to be any project, then where do you attach some information that you would normally put on a project? So ultimately, say you're generating an executable at the end, and you want to attach an icon to it. Where do you put that? Um, and so when we look at those kinds of problems, sometimes we're tempted to go in a in a project way. But when we don't, then we step back and say, what should a language provide that lets you do this in the language in a sense? And in this particular case, I would say it pushed us in the direction of submodules, which is a relatively new construct in the language. And a submodule is what it sounds like. It's just a module nested inside of a module. But the, um, the not obvious thing is that the nested modules instantiation, its lifetime is not attached to the enclosing module. It's lexically nested, but not dynamically nested. And it turns out that gives you a natural place to put what you might call metadata about your program. And so we're sort of leaning in that direction as that's where you put the things that you might put in a project. I have to process that one a bit. I also um, have now had enough of the coffee that's sitting in front of me. We're doing a rather rare, for me at least, uh, morning interview since you're um, you're on UK time at the moment. And I realized as the caffeine uh, soaked into my uh, brain that I completely spaced on asking you the question that starts every show um, and that I warned you about and that perhaps yesterday they're mystified as to why I haven't asked it yet. Uh, We came in with a song that will be edited in later. (laughs) Normally I would ask the guest about it right away. So, uh, Matthew, what what song did our guest hear way back about 15 minutes ago that was playing? (laughs) Oh, I forgot about that too, but uh, Pixies, Palace of the Brine. All right, great. So that's that's very cool. That was – sorry about that. I do occasionally forget, and you would think I would remember after – you know, it's been like uh, 60-something shows at this point. But uh, anyway, didn't mean to take you off track. I was, <laughs> I was, I was thinking hard. I don't know what trick. I was thinking hard about what you said about the about submodules. So, like I said, I'm I'm a real um, 
total noob when it comes to racket. It is absolutely on my list. Like I said, I've signed up for, for RacketCon, which I also want to talk about the con. So, you know, but I'm, I'm a closure program. That's where I, I did a little common list, some scheme a long time ago. Haven't really dug into racket. It is absolutely on my list. I, I'm going to have to ask a, a, an intro question and, and, and ask you to talk about modules. I mean, I'm familiar with the way closure namespaces work. I don't think they're the same thing, although there might be some similarities. Could you, just so I can understand submodules better, since that sounds so interesting, could you tell me what a, what a module is? Sure, and, and uh, if anyone's seen me talk before, you know I use a lot of pictures, so I find it an interesting <laughs> challenge to describe all of this just verbally. I think the way you use modules is probably very similar to the way that you use namespaces in Clojure. I get the sense that namespaces use them. Clojure programmers use them a little bit more dynamically. You sort of swap in and out of them more than we would. So, um, But the way you structure a program into namespaces or modules works out pretty similarly. Mm. So modules are top-level things. They're not first-class values. You know, They are at some overall evaluator sets, but they are first-order things. Uh, and a lot of the lexical macro machinery is attached to the notion of modules um, as a starting point so that you have you know, you write your macros in one module and you use them in the other module and the right bindings get carried over, as you would expect. And so, yeah, without drawing any more pictures, I would just say modules work the way you expect. There's okay. a top level, top level space of modules. Okay. And it's submodules are just nesting those things inside where the only difference between nesting them and putting them separately is you get access to some lexical information by having it nested. And that's and that is the feature that lets you um, make use of them as a way to do metadata. Yeah, somehow it is. Submodules solve very many problems that we didn't think were the same problem at first, which is always a good sign. Mm -hmm. uh, but they solve problems about where do you put tests. So you want to put tests in places that can see functions that you haven't exported so that you can uh, test them, mm -hmm. except that you don't want to include the test with your deployed code all the time. I gotcha. And then you don't want to export them just for testing purposes. Uh, they solve the problem of sometimes you have a module that you want to be used as a library, or you want to use it directly, and then it has something like a main attached to it. Mm. So the main pattern becomes a submodule there. Oh, that's really cool. They solve, you know, where do you put documentation when you want to put your code and documentation together? We think of everything as a language, so we even write documentation in a programming language. So how do you detangle the expressions? Uh, and the answer is the expressions that are documentation time expressions get pushed into a submodule. And that last little bit sort of hints at the connection to macros, because you're, running, you're going to write the code and the documentation together, but a macro is going to pull them apart and generate a submodule. So submodules are also sort of connected to this problem of being able to abstract over modules, which you can't do if you only have top-level modules and macros live inside of modules. So that, that comes into play there, too. Okay, I think I follow that. That's very interesting. Um, you mentioned that you write documentation as programs too, and um, so as a closure programmer, um, thinking way, way, way back to the scheme I did, one of the noticeable differences is the kind of the size of scheme. I mean, closure as a Lisp is not what I would consider a big language, but scheme, in, in my notion of scheme, you know, kind of in the the structure and interpretation of computer program sense, is it's a very, very small language, right? It it it's, yeah. strives for this sort of um, elegant um, uh, minimalism, and and so you know, closure. One of the things that makes closure a bitter, a bigger language rather is um, one of the things is the use of uh, data literals, and mm -hmm. it sounds. I mean, again, this is you know ignorant speculation. So hopefully you can clarify or correct me. But you know, I think about stuff like documentation. I'm like, well, 
I would, as a closure programmer, naturally view that as data that I would express through use of, you know, the, the set of data types I have available to me in closure. D do you, I guess what I'm asking is, um, when you come to a problem like that, like, um, like documentation or some other thing that you want to, metadata, whatever that you want to express, is there some sense in which the advanced uh, language creation facilities that Racket gives you either enable that type of expression of data or or substitute for it somehow? Does that question even make sense to you? Uh, it does, or at least I will provide an answer to the question I hope you ask. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me rewind just a little bit about what you said. Mm -hmm. I completely agree that Scheme is a minimal language, and that's part of the reason we had to rename it Racket, because we didn't want a, a small minimal language. We wanted to, to keep the elegant part without the minimal part uh, and be able to build up things. And I suppose that's why documentation became such a preoccupation for us uh, that we ended up with this huge language and huge libraries. And to manage all of this, then yes, like you say, there's a lot of things that you could think of as data. And we try to think of everything as code instead. Because as soon as you're writing something just as data with a fixed set of constructors for that data, uh, then how do you abstract over that? Usually, it's not a lot of times that you want to abstract over things inside your documentation, but if you want to put uh, examples in or you want a standard sort of formatting for function headers, um, you could express that standard formatting as a particular data pattern, or you can just say, here, here's the function or the syntactic form that you use to describe uh, a program header. And the advantage of doing that is if it's not quite general enough, you just add a new binding and you don't have the same sort of backwards compatibility problems. It's because you uh, you can easily extend the forms that you use for documentation just like everything else. If you take that view then that you want to think of everything as code first and then just provide nice syntactic forms for writing literals when it's easy, then that sort of plays into the whole macro and uh, submodule drivers because that language will need to, you'll need to have some control over it. You may not want to have arbitrary things there. So you want something more than macros and that you can define languages that are smaller than the language that you started with as well as bigger. And you also have this scoping and overlapping overlapping lexical regions of, of different lifetimes that come in. That's interesting. Uh, so we had um, Alan Dipert on the, uh, on the show and, and he has a, a library called Hoplon. Um, which is a it's it's a UI framework for writing uh, apps in the browser. It's um, you know mm -hmm. closure based, and uh, he made the point, and, and and it reminds me very much of what you're saying is that there's a lot of emphasis in um, in the closure world around you know we we say this kind of mantra you know data function macro right in other words in order of uh, decreasing preference like preferred data over functions over macros, and you know that kind of comes out of the Lisp um, observation that uh, well well I guess that that's the other way around actually the but then he makes the observation that your code is data, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so that kind of reminds me of what you're saying is that we, we, it's possible to take a view where you say, oh, I really want to use data. But it's also possible to take a view where you say um, it already is, right? Like, and, 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 mm -hmm. to, and that gives you some things in terms of being able, as you say, to abstract, to, to take advantage of the executable nature of these things. Yeah, so... I would agree, for example, with the prefer functions over macros. But one of the beauties of the list scheme racket style of writing things is you can have something that was a procedure, but it turns out you need to generalize it in some way and it becomes a syntactic form and because the notation is the same, right? Mm. You don't have something special to say I'm using a procedure versus a syntactic form. Um, and that enabled us to add keyword arguments to functions in, in racket, for example, 
And you get that same sort of benefit if you don't think of data as quoted, but just written as some expressions. Mm-hmm. So the the preferred data first that rings uh, rings less. I, I'm not as immediately willing to agree with that. I don't know. Okay, don't, that's, a, okay. that's a good point for me to go learn more about the closure community. I think. Okay. And see how things are done. Yeah. Well, that's I have, I have exactly the same. Um desire to learn racket for the person well i guess it's the dual of that reason <laughs> um, but it, i mean it it uh, it's certainly and I'm, I'm probably doing a bad job of describing what what alan was expressing and of and of tying it to what you're saying but i think the notion struck me strongly enough that i would love to exp- i mean it's for a lot of reasons but i'd love to explore that idea uh deeply because um i think there might there might be again ignoramus here but there might be two things there and being able to for me to know the one I'm less familiar with better to the point where I can choose which one is appropriate for the given scenario would be would be like a superpower. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> enough about me. Um, so let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit. I actually want my I hope we have time to come back to some of those things because those are all really interesting. But I, I also want to make sure that we talk about um, RacketCon itself. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so the, like I say, I'm interested because I have seen a tiny peek uh, of Racket and found it super interesting, and because I found list instinct in general, and because it's outside of what I do. But and the ticket was thirty dollars, <laughs> so it's like <laughs> and I'm already in St. Louis, so it's great. So, but I wonder if you could um, describe or you know pitch really, if you like, um, what's going on at RacketCon. Like, uh, what what uh, what will we see there, and what's what's yes. the, the gist, and how does it how does it work? Right. So this is the fourth RacketCon, um, and we are. I would say RacketCon is still evolving. The people, most of the people who work on Racket come out of universities, uh, professors and PhD students and so on. And so, and also Racket, as I mentioned, sort of started out in an educational, education was the killer app for for Racket at first. And so we've always had this mixture of research and teaching and commercial, you know, uh, industry kinds of users. uh, And that we were always trying to reach all of them. And we've been sort of experimenting with the balance in RacketCon itself. Um, the first one, I think, was closer to what we have at an academic conference, where it was a mixture of things, including a lot of well, little research talks. The second one was more tutorials. Uh, I think the third one last year, we sort of found a, a combination that works better. And we focused more on the sort of practitioner use of Racket, uh, since we do have the research conferences and the education conferences to, to more cover those bases. And so sort of furthering that switch, we're trying moving out of our natural home in Boston, which is where all the, you know, where so many of the Lisp and Scheme and Racket people already are. Sure. And um, going to uh, Strange Loop, which I've sort of pushed this because I love Strange Loop. I've been there a couple of years now. Yeah, me too. Um, And it's just such a fantastic environment, and it's something different from the academic environment. Um, There's a real spirit and energy that I love, and we want to be a part of that and contribute to that. So that's why we're co-locating with Strange Loop, and I think putting it after Strange Loop is not ideal, but that's how our schedules worked out. So that's what we're doing, and we hope that some people will be able to to spend the extra day and, and drop by. And I think you see in the the list of speakers that um, you know we're we're branching out also. Uh, you mentioned that Focus is giving the keynote, and I'm really looking forward to that. You know, I will talk about what's going on in Racket and. Uh, in particular, we're expecting more people who aren't already part of the Racket community, you know, the core Racket community to be there. We'll think more about explaining what Racket is and, and showing stuff in that sense. 
And then we still have the, the talks from people who are showing uh, cool things that they're doing with rackets and good ways of approaching problems generally, you know, not just with racket, but with closure and, and similar sorts of approaches. You know, we've priced it as low as we can just to sort of make it break even, we hope. And uh, we, we are eager to, to get lots of people in to, to sort of see what we're doing and tell us what, uh, you know, what we're missing and, you know, sort of help us push, push things along in interesting ways. Yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I mean, I, I guess the, the, so, I mean, I'm going to go to it, as I said, as someone who's really not at all familiar with Racket. So I think that's good. Like, I, I'm hoping to be pushed. You know, when I go to a closure conference, I still hear interesting things, but uh, I'm not generally learning anything about the language that's outside of stuff I've seen, the language itself. I mean, somebody might present a really cool implementation of some concept that I had no idea about. Um, with Racket, I expect that, like, almost everything I see will be new to me, so I'm really, really excited. Um, do you think it's going to be something where... A person like me who installed—I I think the last time I installed it, it might have still been called um, Doctor Scheme or something like that. Uh, uh -huh. Will will that be something that I, you know, I'm familiar with lists and I can—I have no problem like reading code as long as it's not like super heavy use of crazy macro stuff. Although even that, I'm actually psyched to see stuff like that to get stretched. But will someone like me who's a relative noob? Do you think the conference will still be appealing to to me? Will I get out, come out of it and say I learned a lot of interesting things? Absolutely. That's that's certainly the goal. If anything, I don't know how much of the super deep macro stuff we're going to have this year. Okay. And and I think that's all great. We're, it should be a combination. Uh, we want to we want to hit that spectrum. And you know, again, the idea is to really broaden the community and broaden the people that we're talking to and further the exchange of of ideas uh, along this new dimension. You know, we've always been at the functional programming academic conferences. And, you know, you mentioned I'm at, in the UK, I'm actually a visiting researcher at Microsoft Research this year, this summer, talking to Simon Peyton Jones, who does Haskell, and uh, talking to Don Simon of Sharp. So we're, we're really plugged into that community. But I think, uh, you know, a lot of our community still needs to meet the kind of closure, strange loop kind of community that has some academic connections, but is also more practitioners. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I, I think interesting you know, you can tell by what I do that I'm really into building stuff. Uh, <laughs> I've just managed to find a place where I can just sort of build Racken and write a few papers here and there. And so I'm really excited to, to further those connections. Awesome. Well, it's all, all along those uh, lines, I'm sure we have listeners that are interested in, you know, tons of different things and, and that Racket would absolutely align with uh, with their interests, but who might not be able to attend um, RacketCon. Is there, if you were, so you're talking to them right now. Um, All right. You can. Here's your chance to reach out and say, if you are interested in this and feel like helping, or or even just getting involved and, and voicing your opinion, how can they go about that? Um, well, the Racket mailing list is probably the central communication mechanism right now. It's it's a general list, so people ask questions, people say what they're working on there, they ask for help, they offer help, they they tell what's going on. So if you're really interested in finding what's going on, that's the easiest way is just start looking at the mailing list. There are also talks online from the previous Racket Cons. So Racket Con 3 talks, uh, I think they're all online, uh, and you can find those from the Racket Con webpage. So that's another way of finding out the kinds of things that are going on. And um, you know, there's the users list and the developers list. So if you're really interested in building stuff at the lower level, you know, the developers list is public too. So go jump on that one. 
Cool. Is there are there particular um, things that you're hoping to get help with? Uh, you know, like if you know, I'm just thinking, is there like, oh, you know, we've really been hoping lately that somebody would work on X, and then maybe you know, if we get lucky, there's a listener out there who's like, wow, that's sounds really interesting. So, is there are there particular problem or problems that you've been hoping to find someone to give some love to? That's a great question. I think somewhere we have a blog page that says, here's things that would be great for someone to do. I always have a list of things like that in my head for grad students and eager undergrads. But I think uh, we have some networking libraries, but you can never have too many networking libraries. <laughs> or it's, it's amazing how, how rich a space that is for better libraries. Neil uh, Toronto has been building up this uh, big math library that I think is probably primed for lots of applications. I wish I could say more, you okay. know, speak more informedly about that. But if someone has some interesting sort of math numerical kinds of directions, then type track it in the math library. Um, I bet there's things to apply and things to build up there. Awesome. Well, it doesn't um, sound like it would be hard for them to start a conversation and, and find out. Like if they have an interest to come to you and say, I'd like to work on X, and you would have right. some idea yep. of, awesome, that's super cool. Yep. I'm sorry, I think I might have cut you off there a little bit at the end. Oh, well, you know, we just keep going, I guess. <laughs> uh, you know, plugins for Dr. Racket that do various things, better tools for integrating documentation and tests and, and code. We have some ideas on how we want it to go, but there's only so many hours in a day. And so someone who's really interested in that, we would be interested in sort of eating ideas out and getting different ideas back in. Cool. Yeah. So that's that's maybe a good list for to start with. Okay. I, I, the other thing I was curious about is you mentioned um... – uh, you mentioned that there are people using Racket for um, what we might call, I don't know, practical. I, I don't like that word because I think it kind of imposes a value judgment on stuff like that's <laughs> research-oriented, which has very, in my opinion, very much has value. But um, but there are people using it to build products for use rather than necessarily pursuing ideas for the for the research aspect. Is that uh-huh. is that the case? And if so, what is, are there like a wide variety or are there a particular type of application or problem space that people tend to apply it to? Yeah, so there there are some well-known examples, I would say, and you end up seeing them at the, the RacketCon uh, as RacketCon speakers. Uh, Daniel Prager is going to be speaking at RacketCon. Who's, he did a, a startup that provides quilt um, patterns hmm. uh, using Racket. There's um, Brian Mastenbook is doing something with wearable computing, and I'm looking forward to finding more about that uh, at RacketCon. Uh, last year, we had um, a talk by Dan Goldlieb on how they use Racket at Naughty Dog um, for a sort of domain-specific language that's used by the, the game content designers uh, to build up those games. A lot of things, I would say, on the web services side... There's a robotics group out in Germany using it to sort of do the high-level control of their robots. Uh, some astronomical computations going on in Russia, I think it is. So it's it's kind of all all over the space. Mm-hmm. There, yeah. Cool. That's I think that's uh, fairly similar to closure. Uh, you know, in the yeah. sense that people are like, oh well, it's a Lisp. People are using it. Like, I mean, they might guess the robot one, but then. You know, web services, et cetera, et cetera. That's that's pretty broad. So oh, that's interesting. Yeah. What 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 are you working on right now? Like, what's your what's the? Do you have a particular uh, thorny problem that you're tackling, right, or interesting thing you're you're after right now in the racket? Or, or really, it doesn't have to be racket. I mean, whatever you're you're working on. What's the what's the what's the focus at the moment? 
Well, I keep going on and on about macros, so it'll probably come as no surprise that that's my real focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been threatening to rewrite the macro expander in Racket, and that's I really expect to carry that out this fall. I think I know how to do it better and put it on better foundations. So we have this macro system, and we build up these languages, and a lot of people in our research community and out say, that's great, but it's just black magic. I don't understand anything about how it works. Uh, and we've really struggled to explain it clearly how it works. So... Uh, My focus has been on sort of making it simpler and um, being able to explain it better. And I I hope to to make real progress there. That's that's what I'm looking at mainly. Hmm. We also created a new, what I did over the past year was more about the package system in Racket. So we have a new package system. This was um, Jenny McCarthy's design and implementation. And then I started pitching in and it really sort of, resets the the package system and the the build system approach in Racket. You know, while I've been here talking to people from other language communities, and the, the thing about a, a build and package system is it, it seems like such a generic problem, and yet every language kind of needs its own to succeed. We always find you, you, know, you can build a new language, but until you have a good a way for the community to, to easily share code, then it doesn't go anywhere, and you can't somehow rely on other package managers. So sort of trying to step back and look again at that problem and say, can we say more generally what is a good way to build the compiler, build system, package distribution mechanism? You know, What are the lessons that we've learned from various languages? And can we say anything more about that or make it easier to build the next one? Uh, that's That's been another one of the things that I've looked at recently. <laughs> Sorry, I was just like that. That feels like uh, I could spend two careers working on each of those problems. So uh, obviously you've got your work cut out for you. That's that's awesome. I mean, you know, I mean, we look at, uh, you know, as a closure guy, um, I, I think it's fantastic because I'm, I would love to steal any good ideas that you guys have. We've already done that to some small uh, degree. Uh, I, the small is a, not, a, not a fair word given the amount of work that Ambrose has supported. We've certainly mm-hmm. done it somewhat with typed closure. Very interesting results, I think, uh, with, you know, taking inspiration in heavily from typed rackets. So. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, and, and it's going both ways, I would say, and especially with the, the closure community, because eventually there will be the next revision of Racket. Since we make new languages, we can just make a new one anytime. Mm-hmm. But there will also be the next, we call it Racket 2 for now, maybe that will be the name, I don't know. She'll say hashlang Racket 2 or something. And one of the big things on the plate there is to, to steal a lot of the good data structure ideas from closure, uh, the generic operations and how beautifully that all fits together mm-hmm. another reason we're eager to be more more at the same places that the closure community is yeah well i mean uh, i i know people around here are definitely watching what uh, racket is doing so um it's nice to hear that uh we've and i can't take any personal credit for this but it's nice to hear that things that are happening in the community um are are able to give back a little bit so you know i gotta i gotta you just said the you know you said hashlang uh racket two or whatever I guess this is something that you know you've mentioned a few times now, but I'm I'm curious if we could dive down to that a little bit. You, know, you we keep talking about um, making new languages and just sort of saying here's a new language, and I don't have a good concept. I mean, the kind of the closest conceptual framework I have at the moment, it's probably completely inaccurate. Is you know, it's kind of like I pull in a set of uh, macros or or whatever the equivalent of reader macros is, and I've got a Lisp, but it's just got sort of some 
some things I can put in the first position, whether they're, you know, the equivalent of special forms or the equivalent of macros or the equivalent of functions. And now it's just like a different set of libraries. And I suspect that's com that that's not capturing the idea at all. So I wonder if you could help educate me a bit on what it means to have a new uh, language in this in the racket sense. Well, I would say that's exactly the right starting point. Um, because we know how flexible and how powerful that system is of just changing the kinds of prefix forms that you have available. Um, that is, we, we sort of want that to be the step in a language evolution. But it sometimes, sometimes you need to change the surface syntax, sort of the, the next level of detail. The most prominent example of that in the racket world is the documentation language. You know, you don't want to, you have to write a lot of prose for documents, and it would be very inconvenient to write those as string literals. Um, and it would be not very convenient to write them as here string, you know, where you have a big block that's literal because you need to escape in the middle. And so we use a different sense. We don't use a parenthesized syntax. We use, um, I call them ad expressions. Eli Barzilai, it was his design. Uh, and it's just a brilliant design. One of the best things ever in Racket is this ad expression notation that instead of parentheses, it's, it's prose text and then you escape with an at sign. And it's really the way the escapes work and how they compose that makes it all so nice. And it serves very directly as a bridge into the parenthesized world. So we think of changing the reader to do the at sign notation, genera generating s expressions, and then letting macro tech, you know, the macro toolbox take over from there. Hmm. So, uh, so how do you specify these different reader level annotations? That's why all racket programs start hash lang, and then followed by the name of a language. And what that really is is a, the name of a library that provides the reader that turns it into an S expression and says, what are the initial bindings? And then off you go. Interesting. So you have the right idea and we just put one more layer on top of that. Okay, that's very interesting. And I have to say the, uh, now you're making me uh, double extra curious about the uh, the documentation stuff because uh, first of all, I've wound up working on um, document management systems a few times and I've had this half-baked idea probably a very small subset of what uh, what's in the interesting work in the documentation engine of having a wiki where you could combine something like Markdown with something like um, a Lisp. I mean, obviously, I would probably tend towards closure, but whatever. The basic idea is to have to be able to put code in there and to, uh -huh. to make that editable and runnable in a way that would be safe on the web. And I actually worked on a thing a long time ago that had that, but it was a small talk. And I think there uh -huh. might be some benefit in in making it be a Lisp instead. So uh -huh. I got to look at that. That sounds really, really cool. Yeah, I would say that um, I, would, I would encourage you to look especially at the at notation. Okay. So one of our RacketCon speakers um, is Matthew Butterick, and he has this language, Pollen, which is a document building language. The, the at notation was really why he did it on Racket, because it's just a, a good way to, to do what you're saying, right? To combine the prose with the escape to programming and make it fit together nicely. Oh, that's awesome. Ugh, I'm, I'm ex I really am genuinely excited about, about RacketCon. I mean, I just, I, I think it's a, you know, just the number of times I've heard somebody say, oh yeah, that's a cool idea. It already exists in, <laughs> you know, in Racket. That's actually kind of why I came to, well, cl Closure is where I wound up, wound up, but broadly why I came to Lists is because I was living in the, the Microsoft world and, you know, I, I was doing C Sharp and as versions of that language came out, our listeners have heard me tell this story before, there'd be a new feature. And having had my ear to the ground a little bit, mostly around Common Lisp, um, I would see this new feature. And after I use it for a little bit, I'd be like, oh, that's X from Common Lisp. And at some uh -huh. point, I got the idea, well, why don't I just learn Common Lisp uh, like for real? 
then I'll like know all the I'll know all the features when they hit C sharp finally. <laughs> and so I feel like Racket is actually um, a great place to get some of the same kind of leveling up, right? Like I'll go off and check out what Racket has, and then as these I encounter these ideas in other contexts, like I'll already have some familiarity with the idea, or maybe even find a a good problem. This would be great. Would be to find a problem that. Um, that I just use Racket. I mean, that'd be that'd be awesome. I'd love. There you go. That would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly where we want to be. We are researchers, after all, and so we're trying to to figure out the next thing and put it into practice and re- refine it there. And Racket, you know, we're trying to pull off this double feat of both experimenting with the new stuff and make something as, that's practical. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I, you know, I think we're getting there. Awesome. And there are also there are good times to be a researcher in programming languages and bad times. You know, there are times when you know, no one, you know, Java is it, right? We're all done with programming languages. <laughs> right. uh, there was that that time, and now it's the complete opposite. It's a fantastic time to be in programming languages. There's so much going on, and so many of the ideas that seem to sit dormant, you know, getting pulled into everyday production now. It's great to see, you know, so we try to figure out what is the next big thing, and I've been convinced that macros are the next big thing, but I've been convinced of that for a decade, so we'll see. That So that actually leads me to, and I... <laughs> This might be—I might be asking you to do the impossible here, because there is a there's a sense in which the macro system in in uh, in a Lisp-like closure is quite different, if I understand it correctly, from a a macro in a in a language like Racket, and it 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 revolves around the kind. And here I'm kind of wandering into unfamiliar territory. It revolves around the way you deal with hygiene, and then also. There's something with the word syntax in it that I'm sure you'll know immediately. That's right. Yeah, and, it is. It's exactly how you deal with hygiene and lexical scope. Would you mind making me smarter about the differences there and the advantages um, of the, the the one I'm less familiar with? I think the the way to approach it is to ask, do you need something more powerful than closure? Right. Com- closure takes a step beyond many traditional Lisp macros um, and giving you a form of hygiene. Uh, sort of encouraging, not just expecting you to write Jensen in the right places, but sort of structuring it to, to much more strongly encourage it, right? So so they sort of macros naturally work a little better in Clojure than they do in Lisp. And I would say that the, the kind of technology we're doing is just using in Racket is just pushing that even further. Uh, so the use of the word syntax, that's probably you're thinking of syntax object. I think that's is, it. Yeah, which is just uh, the generalization of an S expression to have this kind of lexical information that we need attached to it. Mm. And what it enables, you know, any simple macros you write, it's not going to give you that much power. It's when you start writing macros that generate other macros, you know, macro generating macros, and you put those inside a local scope, and you use one in a local scope, and it generates a local macro that generates some other macros, and so on, which all sounds ridiculously complicated. But I think it probably sounds complicated in the same way that lambdas and closures sounded ridiculously complicated to a C programmer uh, a long time ago. So there was a true obstacle in sort of figuring out how to explain closures and higher order procedures and why they're good to everybody. And I think that's where we are with macros right now. We both don't quite have the representation right. It's too hard to explain. Uh, We haven't sort of built up the repertoire of uh, sort of examples, uses, and sophisticated kinds of programs to help everyone understand why it's a, a cool thing. Okay, that makes sense. So, um, and, and maybe I can ask a, a question that will help me a little bit. Is it, I don't know if it's, it's going to be yes or no, but one of the things I run up 
uh, against in closure from time to time with respect to macros is that they're not uh, first class. I can't, for example, um, use a macro. Uh, I can't apply a macro. So there are uh-huh, right. times when it'd be nice to say apply or to this you know set of arguments and or is a macro, so I can't do that. It's it fairly easy to work around, but still, is that so? Does the does that next level of power you're talking about is that about getting me some of the same powers for macros that I have for other constructs in the language? Uh, my initial reaction here is no. Okay. So there, there is a sort of line of thought of trying to make macros first-class values in that sense. And my bias is that it's it's not going to work out, my instinct there. It's sort of the more we've properly separated the runtime phase and the compile time mm-hmm. phase, things work better. Gotcha. Which is not to say that the compile time, the, the key is to make the compile time phase as powerful as the runtime phase as it needs to be and to keep allowing you to stack them up and, and to keep that all under control. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, as soon as you said it, you know, compile and, and runtime, I'm like, well, of course, you know, uh, macros are about compile time. And even after, what, I mean, five years now as a closure programmer, I find that I still lose track of that of that distinction since it sort of melts into the background a little bit when mm-hmm. you're kind of, you know, writing a program. So that's a, that's a good reminder. That makes sense. Well, what else? Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to repeat myself maybe, but just suggest that that sort of getting used to the, the different phases is a lot like getting used to higher order programming, mm-hmm. you know, getting used to the fifth is not, ex- the analogy is not exact because the whole thing about functions is you can pass them around as values, right? But uh, this, to the, the degree to which you need to understand and don't need to understand which layer you're at, and it's not obvious to new functional programmers. Right? I mean, sort of you do need to know that there are these closures thing flying around that make lexical scope, except that you don't really think about it, right? You just use variables because they're in scope. So I, I think you're right that you sort of have to think about these different phases, but at the same time, the goal is to make it do more the, the obvious thing. You know, to set the system up to do what you expect, and also make it expressive. Mm. Cool. Yeah, I'm already. My, I'm already like, maybe I should find some time before Strange Loop to start uh, to start doing some <laughs> extra racket hacking. That's super cool. Well, what else? What, is there anything else that we should talk? I mean, we have plenty of time. If are there other things that you'd like to bring up that we didn't uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about yet? Well, what are the what are the great things going on? Yeah, give me a moment. Sure, of course. <laughs> We've covered a lot of ground already. <laughs> you might say, yeah, it's a, my my jump around like a squirrel on cocaine habit there. <laughs> I think, so we talked a little bit about the package system. Mm-hmm. And um, we have sort of, uh, the, the main racket implementers so far, we've focused on certain directions. I guess what, just, just to sort of step back a little bit meta, my answer here is trying to be, uh, I can't give you the answer that's sort of, fundamentally the wrong approach for me to try to give you the answer. So with that meta thought almost in mind, um, (laughs) what we're trying to do with the package system, or at least my particular spin on what we were trying to do, is dissolve the distinction between sort of the core Racket implementers and everyone else. Mm -hmm. Um, When you download Racket, you get a certain set of libraries that are there, and so they're special just in that way. right? Uh, And in the past, it's been much harder to get other libraries in than the ones that we've chosen to put in the distribution. Now, there's some advantage to know that you're using a library that we've distributed because it means that uh, it's been curated. But uh, at the same time, we don't want there to be this uh, strong distinction and and for the, the, the development of Racket as a whole to be so centralized. So obviously, a package system is to some extent you know, decentralizing that. 
but we're really trying to push it a little further than may be obvious. For example, there's a certain build system that runs to build the distribution, but that build system is also just a package now. And so others could build their own distributions of Racket. Probably this, you know, as far as we can see, this would make the most sense for our class, you know, where you want to make it easy for your students to download something that has the right, you know, the right libraries pre-installed and, it, and it's all hassle-free for your students. But, you know, that use case is a hazard of where we live and, and what sorts of things we can see. So we really want to get uh, Racket and the community into a position where it can be driven um, by a lot more people. Right? And a lot more people doing interesting things. So maybe I'm talking in circles, I don't know. But uh, what I think Racket most needs at the moment is not exactly the new macro expander. You know, that's what I can provide that it, among the things that it needs. But what it really needs is a lot more libraries, I think. We have a pretty good set of libraries. We, we sort of have enough to prime the pump and get things going. But the language will succeed or fail from this point as being a, a useful language for people. Um, based on what kinds of libraries are out there. So what we're hoping is we've made it so easy to contribute to the package system that lots of people will be inspired to say, well, you know, my job would have been easy if I just had this library to get that kind of library written and upload it as a package and uh, see see what happens from there, see what directions, what what sort of space is unserved in the world right now and what new kinds of things can we build out of that. Oh, that's interesting. What's the um, what's the interrupt? So what's the what's the what's the FFI story for uh -huh. um, for Racket look like? So our FFI is a C oriented FFI. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and it probably looks like most FFIs. You point it at a shared library and say pull this binding out, which has this kind of type, and the types are described using combinators. You know the arrow fun combinator for describing a, a C-level function and various flavors of integers, you know, fixed width integers and so on. And then we have various facilities. The hardest part of an FFI between a high-level language and C is memory management. Mm. And so a lot of the FFI tools are all about who is responsible for allocating and deallocating and uh, what sort of layout it has. I think binding to C libraries is comparable to, to most other settings. And it's all dynamic. We used to we used to have a GUI binding that was implemented in C and plugged into Racket that way. And a few years ago, we rewrote that completely in Racket to use this FFI and dynamic binding. And that tremendously simplified uh, building and distributing the graphics part of, of our library. So it's certainly, we know that the FFI is more convenient than writing more C code. On the other hand, we don't have a, a connection to Java, for example. Mm -hmm. Conceivably load Racket into a JVM, and start using the JVM's reflection mechanism uh, to to get an interop between Racket and JVM. There's, there's an Objective-C interop, for example, that is based on the fact that uh, Objective-C has this reflective mechanism uh, in C. And um, so that's something we don't have now, but if we're continuing to make this big list of things that people might be interested in, uh, I'd put that pretty high on the list. Well, and the, I think the Java interrupt. This particular audience might be uh, uh, uniquely suited as <laughs> right. people consisting of interested in Lisp and interested in things that happen to run on the JVM. So, uh, right. if you're out there and you want to help, well, there's 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 something that would be super awesome, and it would be awesome, I think, in a lot of ways. I mean, for the Racket community to have access to the gigantic array of 
you know, Java and, and to a lesser degree in terms of number, um, <laughs> closure libraries would be super great. Um, and for us to then be able to maybe get a little bit easier on-ramp into the world of what's going on in Racket would also be really, really cool. Yeah, and my son keeps asking me how he can program Racket on his phone. Um, <laughs> there you so, go. Uh, something that works with uh, the Android stuff would, work, would be great too. Mm -hmm. Well, there's Swift now, right? I mean, that might even be a, a nice uh, place for people to play around that are interested in in all things kind of uh, new and avant-garde. They might, uh, might be a good, interesting place to go. Well, cool. Uh, so I, I see we're coming up on about an hour. Um, I, I, there is absolutely no reason for us to stop if there remain interesting things to talk about. Of course, uh, there's also no reason for us not to simply speak again in the future because this has been really, really interesting to me and, and I, I strongly suspect to many, many of our listeners as well. So I guess before we wind down, and I actually remember to ask you about the music on the way out since that'll be, <laughs> I can't forget that one, right? I can remember the <laughs> intro halfway through the show, but not the outro. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we go? Oh, no. Well, I'm always happy to talk about more racket things. So cool. be, be happy to talk again in the future. I would love that. I would love to have you back on and we can uh, we can chat more about uh, all the cool things. Maybe actually it might be fun um, if we don't get to it beforehand as the, the package management system stuff goes forward. Because I think there's been some interest in that in the closure community right now, like how how packaging might work. I mean, we're always thinking about that. There's been a lot of a lot of talk recently around things like security, et cetera, that, be, that might be a fun um touch point to come back on and, and pick your brain on or, or see what cool stuff you guys would come up with. Yeah, or fix the security issue for us. Sure, that'd, that'd be good too. Hey, you know, it's a rising tide uh, lifts all boats, right? Right, yes. Well, cool. Well, then I will get to the last question, um, which is, uh, what song should we end the show on? Let's go with Fish, a uh, theme from the bottom, which is one of my favorite underwater songs from one of my favorite bands. All right, awesome, fantastic. Well, Thank you again so very much for coming on the show. It has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. I was psyched about uh, RacketCon before. Now I am even more psyched for two reasons. One is um, I'll get a chance to shake your hand and say hi again in person, um, but also because the list of topics um, and the the interesting things going on there are just it just I, I mean Strange Loop is great, and I mean as you say, being after Strange Loop, it's going to be like wow, okay. I just packed my brain full, but I'm going to have to keep some room because I'm, I'm really, really excited to, to hear about this um, this incredibly interesting space um, that people are doing super interesting work in that I don't really know that much about, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I would highly encourage, we're definitely going to do everything we can to get this show out. Uh, you know, we're at the beginning of August right now. Uh, Strange Loop is middle of September, so we're going to crank and get the show going. So hopefully, um, people have as much lead time as they can. Make it there, make it to Strange Loop, and then if you're there, you may as well go to RacketCon um, or just show up just for RacketCon. It, it, it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, yes, I look forward to seeing you there and look forward to seeing everyone there. Excellent, excellent. Uh, well, we will close it down there. We will thank uh, Matthew once again for coming on, and we will thank our listeners. This has been the Cognicast. <laughs> have been listening to the Cognicast. The Cognicast is a production of Cognitech Inc., whom you can find on the web at Cognitech.com and on Twitter at Cognitech. Our guest today was Matthew Flatt, who is on the web at www.cs.utah.edu slash tilde mflatt, M-F-L-A-T-T. The Cognicast is produced with help from Alex Miller, Alex War, Damian Mack, David Chalimsky, Jamie Kite, Justin Gatlin, Kim Foster, Lake Demon, Luke Vanderhart, Lynn Grogan, Mark Phillips, Michael Fogus, Paul DeGrandis, Sam Umbuck, and Stuart Sierra. 
Episode cover art is by Michael Parenteau. Audio production by Russ Olson. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Thanks for listening. Asleep in a box.